Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. Amen. We want to thank uh, Sister Christy West and Chrissy Kind for sharing a portion of their story. Amen. 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 Stand to your feet. Let's dig in this text. Genesis 3, 8 through 24. Uh, Genesis 3, verses 8 through 24. Let's dig into the glory of God on three. Three, go. Amen. Amen. Um, our second installment in our 20-week series on the family. Uh, second installment is the fall of the family. The fall of the family. Lord, God Almighty, maker of all things, we thank you 
honor you for the opportunity to dive in. Um, I feel the weight in this room from the title um, like I did the first gathering. And I'm pretty sure it's going to be the second, the third gathering as well. And I, God, I'm, I'm praying that in this great weight, we see redemption. Yet, I, yet I'm praying that we peer in, though, to ways in which we need redemption. And God, help us to see you as our strength to see ourselves in this text. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen, amen, amen. Last week we started on our trek with um, our series through the family series and I'm thankful um, uh, to have gotten messages and emails and uh, you know, talks with people, particularly singles, that are saying, Pastor, I really needed this series. I need a series on the family. Uh, not just because I want to start a family, but I want to deal with some stuff from having been in a family and being in a family and wanting Jesus Christ to deal with it. And so we want to work through this, and we want this to be uh, something that we begin to see God putting us on a, a, a great trajectory of being who God wants us to be. It's interesting is as you look at uh, Genesis chapter uh, one through two, you see that God didn't create family to be fallen. He created it to thrive. He created family for the man and the woman to play their positions equally on the team as, uh, as equal participants, but functionally different in their commitment to glorifying him and laying out what it means to literally take over the world. I mean, if anybody was really going to, that had the ability to take over the world, it's interesting, they didn't really have to take it over because God gave it to them. And God gave them the word. God gave them the things that people pursue in this fallen world now. God had given the original man and the original woman the whole world as its artistic uh, 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 and technological, uh, uh, agricultural and rural and urban fierceness to build it in what it, they wanted to build it into. But we see today, we're going to look at the fall. What in the world happened to the family? Whether you know it or not, the past of your family is not when your family fall, fail. The, 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 the absence of your parents or absence of your father or mother, the brokenness of your family did not start in your rearing of you into adulthood, but the fallenness of the family started thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years ago when Adam and Eve fell that has effects on the things that we experience practically in the everyday lives of our family. And as you saw through Sister Christie and Sister Chrissy's video, that, 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 that sin and the fall is an equal ethnicity employer. That, 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 that sin reaches across the ethnic lines, it reaches across railroad tracks, it reaches everywhere from the block to the boardroom. However, as far as sin reaches, as far as the fall reaches, there's one whose hand is not too short to save, where he can reach into the worst recesses of anywhere in your life and bring comprehensive shalom, comprehensive redemption, comprehensive change. But before you experience redemption, before you experience change, you have to peer into your fallenness. So we come to the latter part of Genesis. I wanted to do... This is a two-weeker, but I was like, nah, I'm going to give y'all fallenness in one because we're going to talk about it all during the series. Um, and we're going to do this in this week. Um, 
And as we come to this passage, we see some interesting things from 8 through chapter 8 through verse 24. Because in verses 1 through 7, we see that the man and the woman are in the garden, chilling, enjoying themselves. And uh, uh, as the old uh, preacher used to call, all old Slewfoot made his way. M made his way up to the woman. And it's interesting that Satan, who the Bible calls in Revelation 12, 9, the serpent of old, pointing to the fact that Satan uh, had possession capabilities from the beginning, and he was able to go into animals at his will, just like at times Jesus was, uh, the, the demons in uh, the Bible asked Jesus because they entered pigs. So we know that there is a possibility of that, realizing that it wasn't just some, uh, all the animals back then could just talk, um, but that this was a particular person that was talking to them. And it's interesting interesting that he went to the woman. The reason why he went to the woman, because God had a divine order based on creation. That doesn't mean the woman is less than anyone, but it just means that functionally the way God set up households, he set up households with order. Somebody say order. And so in God's order and design, it was supposed to be woman. It was supposed to be man. It was supposed to be children and then animals. In God's creation, God, man, woman, children, animals. But because of Satan always wants to pervert God's order. And when Satan wants to pervert God's order, he always has a counterfeit that seeks to reverse the beauty and glory of what God created in order to, uh, to change it into what his own image is so that he can get all up in the midst of it. So instead of talking to Adam like a, like a man and coming up to Adam uh, and, and chopping it up with Adam, he went to Eve. In other words, he went into a serpent, bottom of creation, went to a woman, next level of equal God, a, 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 a God identity creation and went to not the person who's head of the order, but under the order. Because he always in a home, always in a family, and always in your life wants to pervert order. If the enemy can pervert order in your life, he can bring disorder. Wherever there is a lack of order, it automatically goes into disorder. But the woman, instead of, Satan starts chopping it up with her. And as soon as she heard some unfamiliar communication, she should have chopped it up with her husband and convened about the stupidity that was happening. Uh, 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 but instead of doing that, she began to talk. But the Bible says that as Satan began to talk to her and chop it up with her, uh, 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 she began to not only say what God said, but add to what God said. She said, he said, didn't, did not, did not God say? What, what did he say, dude? Did he eat from any tree in the garden? She said, well, we can't eat, we can eat anywhere we want, but that tree in the midst of it, he said, did God say that? And then she said, not only should we not eat from it, we can't touch it, which is adding to God's word. Adam, the Bible says, was with her, meaning that he was standing there like a sucker while the devil was talking to his wife. In other words, he let a backdoor joker, help me today, coming through the back door of his house, him eavesdrop on the foolishness and became silent. And in, in, in that moment, he became a co-participant in Eve's deception. And as he became a co-participant in Eve's deception, here we come to the passage that we're in to be able to engage the challenges of what God wanted Adam and Eve to work around and to live in light of because of the glory of the living God. And so we come here to verse 1. And as we come to verse 1, we see, at uh, verse 8 rather, comes to my first point. 
If you're going to deal with the fall of the family, number one, you got to recognize God wants to uncover the state of family health. God wants to uncover the state of family health. Verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord. Uh, it, it says God walking in the garden or moving in the garden. Now it's presenting God as corporeal, meaning with a body, but he probably wasn't corporeal in walking through the garden literally. It's God's presence, his dwelling presence was, was abiding with man back then. So his dwelling presence, just like the view of the Shekinah glory that came on the Salmonic temple, dropped on the Garden of Eden. And when they knew that God was coming, it was interesting because it, it, the, the idea here, uh, uh, you, you, you can see so many places, um, but, but, but particularly here is the idea of God coming in anger about him knowing what happened. It's interesting that in God coming in anger, knowing what happened, he didn't show off the massivity of his anger even at this point, which is his first act of grace. Because whenever you mess up, God has the right to immediately destroy you. So the fact that he doesn't come in with destructive with destructive, righteous, fair, destructive disposition is an act of grace and mercy on Adam and Eve. So in this whole text, Yahweh is humoring man and woman. Whenever you didn't get destroyed because of your mess, God is humoring you. Let me just tell you right now, because no matter how good you think you were, it was just a little slip up. It was just a little mess up. No, God deserves by the microscopic view of whatever type of sin any of us do to absolutely wipe us out. But the glory of the goodness of God is so massive. His love is so everlasting even though he knew you were going to do it even though he knew the time you were going to do it even though he knew how many hairs were on your head when you did it he knew how many beads of sweat you were sweating while you did it he knew what position and how many diameters you are in the geographical equation of geometry of what mathematically you were standing like in that position and he knew how tall you were how short you were the inflections of your voice the volume of your voice he still loves you he comes in the garden, it says, in the time of the evening. I don't know if God was coming there. Um, I don't know if he waited till it happened. And he said, I'm going to come in the cooler day because how hot I am. But the cooler today can't, can't extinguish the wrath of God. Ah, help me today. And then it says, in light of that reality, they hid. Somebody say they hid. This is interesting. <laughs> them hiding was them hiding from his presence. The presence that was so beautiful to them. The presence that was so enjoyable to them, the presence that they were supposed to bask in forever, now because of sin becomes a point of fear. And the first thing they do is hide. That's why, 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 why do we see them hiding? Because they were supposed to be a family that lived in the presence of God. Now they're hiding their relationship from God. Be careful when you hide your relationship from God. It's not like you can really hide it, but some of us think we can actually hide it. In other words, it's, it's, it, it, applicationally, it's like dating in the dark. <laughs> Whenever you refuse to put your relationship before God and others, 
you set yourself up for the reality of the fact that something is falling. Whenever you got a date in secret and people kind of got a, what's going on between y'all? That, that, let me explain something to you. There's something wrong with that relationship. If you say to somebody, I want you to meet my friends, they say, not yet. I want you to meet my family, not yet. No, you should, now the first day of the relationship should be a coming out of the reality of this fact that something is going on. But if you got a secret relationship, you go into the movies together. You, you, you down in Center City together, holding pinkies, going to Fogo de Chow and carrying on, and Ruth Chris and everything like that. You understand what I'm saying? You're going to Cuba Libre and Older City and everything like that. You're going to get you a cheesesteak. Nobody knows. You don't post nothing. Then all of a sudden, you post with a ring on. I'm confused. I'm confused. Because there should be no secrets. Because when you live in God, that's what the Bible says in Ephesians 5, everything that walks in the light is exposed by the light. Listen, I know we're scared, but we need God's light on everything in our life. You need God's light. Every family needs the spotlight of God's hand. So they hid from him. They hid their marriage from God. As if Yahweh can't see it. Because a godless relationship is a godless relationship. Somebody get that on the way home. That's hip-hop wordplay. Um, so they were together in their hiding from the Lord. They were unified in hiding from the Lord. And it's bad when you have family secrets. I don't know. Help me today, God. <clears throat> it's interesting. I was, um, you know, we went to this family reunion, first family reunion. And you see all these people you never seen before. You ever seen that? And, you know, dude's like, who's shorty right there? That's your cousin. Not fourth cousin. First, second type cousin, right? Because he's like, she fourth. You know, the Bible says fourth. Ain't nobody, somebody get that on the way home. <laughs> and one of the family members, I was like, mom, how are we related to them? Mom said, shut your mouth. I'm like nine. I'm like, what did I do? She said, you don't ask how we're related to anybody at this family reunion. And as I got older, you know how you get mad at your family, they ain't tell you nothing. It's a total just jacked up a fied, just like you, yeah, it's just messed up. Yeah. And many times we as families hide our history. And hiding your history doesn't help with redemption. Because in order for people to get healed, you have to hide from, you can't turn the side out when your child get raped by a family member. I'm gonna come to that, I'm gonna come to that later on in the series. If you know a child is getting molested and you act like it's not happening, and then you treat that child like they're crazy, you're wrong as two left shoes. You're wrong. You're wrong. Don't be, huh, this is for free. Don't be so emotionally attached to someone that you'll expose your children and lay them before them in a prostitutionalized way in order for you to not be lonely. Help me today. You can't, you can't hide. You can't hide. Don't hide anything. Lay it all out. Because your healing is unhiding. 
whatever, whatever you hide, God can heal if you open it up and lay it before him. I got to move. Verse 9. So the Lord God called out to the man, stop right there. Adam and Eve are hiding. But he doesn't call Eve. He calls Adam. Adam! 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 And in the midst of him being called, right here the man is laying aside what doesn't realize is his, and God always holds the man responsible for the health of the family. Man is to be held responsible for where the family is. And many of us as men, I don't know what's wrong with us, there is sort of this fallen booby trap of this disposition of the unwillingness to ferociously lead our woman. Help me to the third level, Jesus. There is a disposition in which God has called you to be an overt leader, not a covert punk. And then let me, let me tell you something. I know she's smarter than you. I know she got more degrees than you. I know she can outthink you, outchest you, outchecker you, outbackgammon you, outtunk, outpoker, name them all. She can out all of that you, but deep in her smart, detailed heart of hearts, God has placed something inside of her soul that is begging for a man to lead her. Let me tell you something. I believe God, I'm just, this is me. I believe God made women smarter than us on purpose. Y'all smarter than us. And fellas, don't be sitting there acting like you are. We're not smarter than women. We're not. They're more detailed. They understand. We all up in the clouds. And they can run circles around us. And God made them smarter than us, I believe. It's all through the Bible. Look at Nabal and his stupid self. Look at him. His wife stopped the family from getting killed because of his unwillingness to lead. In other words, I believe God made women smart for, for their souls and made us less smarter than them for our souls. To deal with our insecurity, to lead anyway, and to make them voluntarily submit themselves to someone that they're a better leader than. Okay, you thought because a woman, help me today. I know I said something right there. I know I said something right there. Let me tell you something. Let me, let me tell you something. Don't think because men are supposed to be leaders that women can't lead. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just telling you right there. Don't think, don't think for a minute your little position means you can function well there. God literally makes, he, he, he using your frustration woman as a way to make you pray instead of complain.
He fills you with knowing what to do so you can take it to the one that can do more than you. But then the man, we have to be willing to draw near to God and begin to admit this. Look at what Vody says. I love what he says. He says, being a family shepherd, being a family shepherd is not just about the way a man leads his children. It's also about the way he leads his wife. In fact, leading a wife is the foundation upon a man's shepherding ministry in the home is built. This is the true, this is true because marriage family of God, marriage is designed in such a way that ideally a man gets a wife before he gets children. Furthermore, whether or not God blesses a man with children, if he has a wife, he's still, uh, he's still a family shepherd. It also is also the case that once the children are gone, a man must continue to lead his home and shepherd his wife. In other words, the attention you give to your marriage is a huge part of being a shepherd. <clears throat> leading your wife sets the tone for leading children. It does. If the mother and father relationship aren't synced up, the children are going to be a reflection of the parental mess. Single fellas, you need to get some help in the area of making sure that you're able to lead yourself. In other words, you can't lead a family if you got a childish vision. Okay, no, nobody gonna talk, but it's okay. I said I wasn't gonna do that. So, so what, 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 what happens is this, is as soon as you forsake God's presence as the main covering for the household, gentlemen and ladies, you begin to cover yourself with other things. Because as soon as Adam and Eve Got, got, went into sin, the first thing they searched for was not prayer. The first thing they searched for was not a word for God. The first thing they searched for was to cover themselves. And based on verse 7, they sowed for themselves leaves. Fig leaves and put it on themselves because whenever, listen, whenever you're not functioning under God's covering, you're always going to be looking for something else to cover you. And the thing that they put on themselves to cover them with dead things. Let me explain something to you, gents. You have to stop covering yourself with extended adolescence. <laughs> Many men, I am deeply concerned with your commitment to growing up. You can lift, you can put 245s on as the starting point of your workout. You can do crunches and lunges. You can, you can shoot a 15-foot basket, but when it comes to masculinity and manhood, you're shooting air balls. And it's time now, adolescence is a creation of Western philosophy. It is not a biblical ideology. The Bible teaches childhood, adulthood. It doesn't teach this microscopic, foolish space that's an extension of what it means to not be responsible with a responsible body. And what are some of the things that flank extended adolescence? Playing video games all the time. 
come back, come back. The reason why, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I'm not saying playing video games in and of itself is wrong. But what I'm saying, come back, y'all, come back. <laughs> but video games is a way, is a functional savior for you not to deal with your reality. Because in the video game, you can, you can conquer. You can destroy. So you, you a beast at 2K, 18. You a beast at Madden and, and I don't even know all the games. You know, you, you, you a beast at all these different drugs. You in there talking to people. You understand? You, you, I mean, it's four in the morning. You know you got to be up to work the next day. But you're so committed to your fantasy is you willing to put reality in jeopardy to outlive your fantasy. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm trying to get you free, family. Playing these videos. You can play video games for six hours and can't get one answer from one verse from God out of the Bible. You'll look on websites. How do I beat this stage? And you'll spend hours on uh, game facts or whatever to find how do I beat this? And you can't beat porn. You'll do all this work to beat a game, but won't do any work to beat your soul into submission to Jesus Christ. I gotta go to the next one. Being non-committal in every area of life. Dating for five years with no plan of marriage. Okay. Y'all done met a very family. Y'all went to school together. Y'all know each other. Y'all decently got enough money. If you put it together, you can live and buy at least an apartment. I mean, you got all this. You kiss, you hug, you done slept together. You done did everything. And so it's just a perpetual cycle of emotional attachment without any goals of upgrading. We got to stop hiding in being non-committal. In other words, it's the gratification culture where I want a relationship without the responsibility of being a shepherd. So because once I put the ring on, I'm responsible for her soul. But contrary to popular belief, if she's your sister in Christ, you're already responsible for her soul. <laughs> Many of you avoid planning so you won't have to be held responsible for growing up. Some of y'all is living in mama's basement, 30. 30, I ain't trying to beat you up. I'm, I'm telling you, I want you to come. God is standing at the top of your mama's basement, yelling in there at the top, Adam! Adam, he's calling you out of them video games. He's calling you off of that, off of that, off of that, off of that day bed. He's calling you off of the couch with the little blanket. And he's telling you, stop eating snacks and playing games and get your crazy behind upstairs so we can take the world by force. Too many, I'm gonna get a last one. I'm gonna get a last two. These are just my concerns. Hiding in the realm of potential. I'm gonna explain that. Potential becomes an imagined reality, but is really a mechanism to postpone responsibility. 
What do I mean by that? Everybody knows you're gifted, but you don't do anything with the giftedness. So what you do is you keep talking about ideas, but never materialize anything because you like the verbal affirmation of potential without the practical responsibility for application. This come from shepherding people. I'm tired of potential dudes. You got all that potential. We need God to bring you into some reality. We need the God to bring you into some practicality. Stop, listen, stop asking somebody to give you a plan and go after it. Start being a ferocious beast and going after a future, going after a dream, going after a desire versus sitting in barbershop talking all the time. Last but not least, because I got to move. I'm praying that men will get out of leisure-based jobs because you're hiding them. Jobs that don't help you provide for your family, but just for your hobbies. It gives you just enough. It's no career plan. Leisure-based jobs. In other words, because you're not responsible enough to go into a real job and clock in on time, you want some type of job that gives you enough money where you can kind of create your schedule. We need to get beyond that and begin to be, see this is the things that we're hiding generationally in. And this brokenness needs to give, I gotta move, verse 10. Verse 10, he said, and he said, I heard you. He told God, I heard you. Wow. In the garden, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. In other words, I heard you. I was afraid. I was naked. I hid. I heard you. I was afraid. I, I was naked. I hid. I, 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 I. I. And God is graciously being gracious to Adam by humoring his adolescent foolishness. Then he asked, who told you you were naked? See, we always tell on ourselves. You be mentioning stuff you ain't mean to mention, trying not to mention what you wanted to mention, but you needed to mention it because sin makes you mention things that you didn't want to mention because you're trying to hide it. But the Bible says all things that are in darkness will be brought to light, even if it's from your own mouth. And he said, he said, Adam, did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? Adam replied, the woman you gave me. Homegirl, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. But you know what, he's not blaming the woman, he's blaming God. See, that's funny. It's funny at the beginning of the relationship, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Now, that was the, that's the way the relationship began. But now you're not covering her. You're putting her out there and blaming God. So the one who gave her to you, you're blaming God for the way you treated her and the results that came in her life because of the lack of your leadership, Adam. And God is like, God said, right, I'm coming back to you. Hold on one second. So the Lord asked the woman, he said, what is this you've done? And the woman said, Them serpent, that serpent, you created it, deceived me, and I ate. 
So he said, all right, I'll be back to you. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild beast. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. Second point, God recovers the health of the family. What I like about this next section, family, is that God in the midst of all of this judgment is screaming gospel hope to them. All the way through the rest of the passage. It's, it's, it's amazing. He's already done that by being gracious, by not destroying them in the first place. But it's interesting, the, the peaks at Jesus that we get from what happens, even while he's screaming judgment. Look at verse 15. He says, I will put hostility between you and the woman. In other words, since y'all like to talk to each other so much, I'm going to make sure y'all never like each other. And he said, and the woman, and, and between your offspring and her offspring. Know what I love about this statement? <clears throat> Is it assumes that Eve will be redeemed. Why? <clears throat> this is important. If the, if, the, if the serpent's offspring and the woman's offspring are different and the serpent's offspring is fallen offspring, then that means that there are offspring that the woman will have in her lineage that won't be fallen. In other words, something's going to happen to Eve even though she fell. Something's going to happen to Adam even though they fell. They're going to say, yeah, we made a mistake. And at some point in their journey with God, they're going to press into God because the Bible says later that after Cain and Abel, they probably had many kids, but after Cain and Abel, uh, she began to disciple her children and one of them caught it and his name was Seth. And the Bible says that men began to call upon the name of Yahweh again. What does that mean? In other words, that she learned from her mistakes. Adam learned from his mistakes, and he said, I want to pour into my children. I want to pour into the next generation to not make the same mistakes that we made, that they may call upon the name of the Lord all the days of their life. He said, he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. What does that point to? ultimately to Christ, that Jesus Christ will be nipped by the devil. The cross was just a nip. But he will crush the head of Satan by making all of the works of the devil be put under the feet of his people. And that's the beauty of this. In the midst of all of this fall, that Jesus Christ is going to do this beautiful work as he's pointing ultimately at the coming of Jesus Christ. But not only that, verse, verse 16, he said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. In other words, it was going to hurt at first, but it's going to hurt even more now. You will bear children with painful effort, not just bearing them in giving birth to them, but raising them. It's going to be hard. Your desire will be for your husband. In other words, because you didn't play your position, you're going to always struggle with being in your position. So your desire will always be that you're a better leader than your husband. Your desire will always be, your reality will be, you will always desire his position because you will think you're better and you will try to walk in being better and it will cause strife because guess what he's going to do in response to you? Rule over you. The thing, he said, I, 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 I suspend man from ruling earth, but I don't suspend him from ruling you. You could have ruled together, now he's going to rule you. The fall 
But then in the midst of that, he turns to Adam and he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat. The ground will be cursed. That's why work is so hard for men. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles. You'll work hard and sometimes you won't get anything back. And you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it for you are dust and you will return to dust. He's giving man hope right here because Jesus Christ had thorns on his head. Jesus Christ redeemed us by the sweat of his brow. Jesus Christ returned to the ground, but he didn't remain dust. He came out of the ground with all power in his hands. But then God is gracious. He gets ready to put them out of the garden. He gets ready to put them out of the garden when it says in verse 22. Well, 21, he says, the Lord God made clothing from skins, a sacrifice. Pointing ultimately to Jesus. See how much he loves them? God killed an animal and covered them with something that's a little more long lasting instead of what they created. Verse 22, and I'm done. The Lord God said, since the man has become like us, he localizes what that means. Knowing both good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat it and live forever. What does he mean by that? Adam had already eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil going into sin. If Adam would have eaten from the tree of life, he would have had eternal death. So God closed off the garden of Eden from them, not merely as judgment, but as protection. Because all of us would have been born into sin with the inability to ever be saved. But God said, I got a plan for you, even in the midst of your error. I have a process that I'm putting in place to bring redemption to your life. And you're going to be different because this time, instead of hiding from me, you'll face me. And guess where you will face me? You will face me at the cross of Jesus Christ. And at the cross of Jesus Christ is where you'll finally admit your sin. And instead of hiding in yourself and what you create, you will hide in my son. And if you learn the secret of hiding in my son, you will have more redemption than you'll ever need because hiding in Jesus is to be exposed. Hiding in Jesus is to be changed. Hiding in Jesus is to be transformed. Hiding in Jesus is to be empowered. Hiding in Jesus is to find out who you are. Hiding in Jesus is to find out who you're not. Fighting in Jesus, finding yourself in Jesus, hiding in Jesus where your significance is, where your dignity is, where your identity is, where your life is hidden, where your eternality is. It's where your masculinity is. It's where your femininity is. It is where your family identity is found. It is where you have the greatest amount of expectations that you can ever experience. I'm done. We got to close this. We're going to have an altar call in a second, and we're going to go a little over. I want y'all to be patient with me. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you, and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. 
you can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give, and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.